Hello, and welcome to the Soundweavers podcast. Soundweavers explores the trials and tribulations of small ensemble musicianship through conversations with leading performers and composers. Today's episode features Twelfth Day. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sound Weavers. My name is Rosanna Moore, and I am your host. Today, I am joined by my wonderful co-host, Blair Kerner, who is also the editor of the podcast. Hey, Blair, how are you doing today? Can't complain, can't complain. So who are we talking to today? Well, we're really excited to be chatting with the utterly quirky, slightly nutty, but internationally acclaimed duo, Twelfth Day. They've been described as unconventional, yet completely open, instantly addictive, and one of the most rewarding listening experiences. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Twelfth Day, made up of Katrina Price and Esther Swift. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, Rosie. Hi, Blair. Thanks so much for having us. So let's get started with the questions. Uh, can you tell us the story of how your group formed and where did your name come from? So um, <laughs> the first place that we ever pl- played was a cafe. Well, that's where Kat and I um, kind of solidified our duo as well, which was uh, in Manchester um, at the Royal Northern College of Music. And there was a cafe right next door to the college, which was called Eighth Day Cafe. You probably remember it, Rosie. I remember Eighth Day. It was a lovely little vegan vegetarian place. It was super cute. It was like a, a kind of um, very grassroots hippie venue before hippie be- became cool. And okay, then yeah. all the man buns <laughs> moved in and everything yeah, yeah, was yeah. history. <laughs> yeah, it was just like a genuine happy place. It was great. And we, we did gigs there fairly regularly when we first started. It was a great place for us to experiment with our weird, quirky kind of material. So um, we had some regulars there, but not many. We had four. <laughs> hey, that's a start. And so we kind of considered what we should call ourselves and we thought, What's eight, eight plus four? Twelve. Twelfth day. There is um, also an added element to the story, which is we were a, we initially decided, so Esther and I were flatmates in college and um, we sort of started jamming together quite early on and realised that we had a similar um, idea about how we wanted to create music and start, you know, playing, um, playing together gradually. And then it was the sort of proper formation of Twelfth Day was over the four years that we were at college, I would say. I don't think we really arrived at our sound until probably after we left college. But that was such a lovely way to do it because we were under no pressure to sort of come up with an album really quickly or come up with a sound. It just sort of happened organically as we were growing as musicians together. 
But um, so basically at the start, it was all just a bit of a laugh and a joke. So we decided to call ourselves the Extra Tasty Duo. Yes, I love this story. <laughs> Did you guys get told off by the Northern for this? And told this is yeah. yeah. We had to make this decision about our names quite quickly because we were put on the tour books for the external engagements from um, RNCM. And they just weren't having the name Extra Tasty, <laughs> sadly. So we had to change it quite quickly. They were like, yeah, we'd love you to do gigs, but you're not representing us under that name. <laughs> okay, okay. Sad but fair. So moving on, you guys have clearly worked together for a really long time, well over a decade at this point. Uh, have you always just been a duo or do you guys work with other people and do many collaborations? Yeah, so we have definitely done a lot of collaborations over the years, but the core of Twelfth Day is always a duo. And um, we've collaborated with different artists along the way, but most recently in our uh, recent album that came out in November called Face to Face, we decided for the first time to bring other musicians into our own music. So we have on about half of the tracks on that album we have drums and bass in there too which was so fun to experiment with because i think for ages we were like we had all those sounds the percussive sounds and then the deep bassy sounds in our heads and we we're trying to fulfill them all with just a violin and a harp mm. <laughs> and our two voices so we were like you know i don't want to say we had to admit defeat but we wanted to get those extremes of our sound through in a more direct way so that was a really fun thing to do to bring those guys in and it all of a sudden we're like oh we can kind of relax and enjoy actually just performing the music now because we don't have to sort of cover everything all the time just the two of us it was sort of like filling in the gaps it was sort of like a hands-free version Kind of. <laughs> I think that's great. Hands free playing violin and harp, but just harp. less yeah. violin. <laughs> Certainly with the harp side of things, for, for me personally, I was like, I'm obsessed with bass lines. I'm obsessed with chords um, as well. So like trying to do all of those things as well, singing and, you know, riffs and stuff. Yeah, it's quite intense. <laughs> Other collaborations that I want to mention. Um, people that we've worked with are Maya Youssef. If you've heard of Maya, she's this amazing Syrian canoon player. Um, and we did a concert with her in the Bath Festival, Internet Bath International Festival in 2016. And that was probably a highlight of our joint ventures so far, I'd say. <laughs> and uh, someone else we've worked with is Siobhan Wilson. We worked with her at Celtic Connections, did a collaborative concert. And um, Joy Dunlop, we made an album with the Gaelic singer Joy Dunlop, where we set um, Scottish female poetry to music. Um, and that was a really special experience as well. Yeah. Oh, I remember that album. It's, it was a really beautiful album you guys put out. <laughs> yeah, I really enjoyed that. It's just like drawing on, on experiences of, of Scottish women and the diversity here in Scotland. It was a really special thing to learn about, actually, um, and just like to discover, you know, what's on our immediate doorstep and what's in our community already. And I guess that's been mm. um, quite a, 
a thing for a lot of people during lockdown as well as just remembering the wealth of diversity that we've got like on our doorsteps how much we can draw from from our own culture and um, our own community and uh, just um before we move away from collaborations i should just add as well um we also did a collaboration with the swingle singers oh. um, who you might know that is cool they're like they're such a cool group because they've been around for absolutely yep. yonks yep. <laughs> like decades and decades they're in like their nth sort of reincarnation now they always kind of have a rolling membership and um they asked us to collaborate on their was it their most recent album i think called folklore where they took they did arrangements of tracks of uh, different folk songs from around the world and we um we sort of collaborated with them on the the one from the British Isles. So as you mentioned, you are both classically trained at the Royal Northern College, but your ensemble is definitely genre bending. So how would you actually describe your overarching style and genre and has your classical training have any impact on it? Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, all the music that we have um, enjoyed together and a lot of the music that we've enjoyed apart has impacted on us as a band, I think. Basically, the philosophy of Twelfth Day is that we want to use as many different influences and push the boundaries of the capabilities of our instruments as far as we can. Um, mm. And I, more recently as well, the boundaries of our singing voices. Um, we've been super inspired, especially in our last kind of most recent album by Bjork, Kate Bush, um, The Unthanks. Um, and lots of powerful kind of high voices um, that, yeah, are, are like maybe not so kind of hip at the moment <laughs> in the music uh, industry, but... Oh, hip's um, overrated. It's yeah, <laughs> it's totally overrated. Totally. And it's there's something about a really strong, high-voiced women um, that like we were kind of maybe shying away from before in our previous albums. Um, but now, you know... We're in our thirties, man. We're over the hill, so <laughs> never, never over the hill. It just so we means don't we're care. Experience. We don't care anymore. <laughs> I think it's like so liberating just to let it all out, you know. And I think as you get older, you start caring less, or you stop caring. Oh, absolutely, no, absolutely. I completely agree with that. And I think it actually makes you a better communicator and therefore a better musician because you don't have these barriers where you're thinking what what do people think of me all the time you know obviously everybody still has that they're never going to completely get rid of it but I think when you get older you just get more confident in reminding yourself actually it doesn't matter let's yeah. just do what yeah. we do and and you've done the time. training you know you know what you are at this yeah. point and you've worked so hard at it I think well, it's I think that's something that I love about you, Rosie, and you, Blair, too. I mean, like, I feel an affinity with you guys because I feel like you're like that as well. You don't care. You're just going to do your thing. <laughs> Our group is called Hats and Heels, I mean. <laughs> that was great. Decided to lean into the, okay, let's not go down the very sort of namby-pamby allegretto duo or something yeah. and went, okay, um, Blair wears a lot of hats. I wear a lot of shoes. Uh, hats and heels, 
yeah, that works. That works for me. And then after we we were talking about this, we were actually talking about this at a educational like outreach engagement thing for the Eastman Community Music School, where it was basically like a, a petting zoo. And there wasn't a lot of people over in the winds department, and there's a lot of people covering it. So I went over to to the harp section because I was taking lessons with her, and I was you know playing around. And we talk about this, and her boss comes around and just hears the word hats and heels, and he's like, "That sounds like a duo name." And we're like, "Sold." <laughs> Um, Done it. <laughs> oh, that's great. It's proof. Story. Proof in the pudding. So that's such a better story for a band. We we want that story. <laughs> well, you you briefly alluded to it, but uh, you know you've been called a two person a two person quartet because you also sing, but you've also mentioned that you don't you didn't necessarily do it in all of your albums, but you've been embracing it more now. So could you talk about? That process of how you decided to incorporate singing in addition to playing and what you sing about and where the lyrics come from do you create it yourself etc yes so the singing definitely when we at the very beginning when we very first started playing together it was definitely more we were using folk songs um, and Esther was doing most of the singing because Esther had, comes from a, a choral background she was a, a chorister from when she was a little little child um, so she's been sort of singing all our life and then I would do like bits of backing vocals and stuff and then um we did we did a, an, a covered EP then when we were quite cl- quite soon out of college mm-hmm. and I think that's probably where we first felt like we had our 12th day sound like that's and I think the reason we can tell that is because that's we still sell that one <laughs> We don't sell our first <laughs> album anymore. Yeah, I was looking for your first album on Spotify and it wasn't there. I was so sad. Yeah, we keep it quite quiet. Yeah, yeah. like you'd be probably be sadder if you heard it. I remember the cover of it so well as well. It was so beautiful. Especially because you guys had just... Actually, no, you hadn't graduated yet. It was, I don't know, two weeks after your... Um, final recitals you've released this album and I was sat there going I want to how how do they have time to do this we literally did it in two days in in studio seven in the RNCM with our friend Ben and um, it was very (laughs) we really did not know what we were doing at all but it was so great to have the opportunity just to and learn about what it was to make an album Um, Mm. so that was really fun it was such a great learning curve oh yeah you know, we, we basically realized there and then that it, it took more than two days <laughs> to make an album. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like um, just like the depth of making an album became clearer to us as we made more of them. Like, you know, the value of a producer, the value of like dimensions, value of like distancing, the value mm-hmm. of, of getting the right you know, really working to get the right mic sound, really working to get the right studio, the right v- vibe and the right atmosphere and getting tracks that complement each other, getting like a succinct subject. You know, all of these things are things that all artists work so hard to create these amazing pieces of art. If you're a, if you're independent artists like we are, and we always have been and we've always been self-released, is that we have no option but to learn on the job because we've not got a record label sort Mm -hmm. of giving us any blueprint for how to make an album or what sound we should be making or what producer we should be working with and all this. So we had to learn it all as we went. And 
you know, I'm so grateful for that because I think now it's made us into, it's just given us a, a, good, a really good knowledge of how we want to make albums, you know, and it maybe took a few sort of steps along the way that we maybe don't love shouting about now, but actually I would much rather have <laughs> that than have, get to a point in my career when I, was, when I don't really know what I think myself, you know. Um, so that's been a lovely journey. But going back to to the lyrics and the songs that you're asking mm-hmm. about before, um, after we did the covers EP, which was basically when we were in Manchester, it was BBC Radio Manchester were turning 40 and they asked 40 Manchester bands to cover 40 Manchester songs, one for each year. And we got given the year 1992 and the song was You're the One for Me, Fatty by Morrissey. So I love that too. We thought, what the hell do we do with this? No idea. This is going to be so hard, but we absolutely loved the process of turning it into our own song. Did the same with four other unlikely songs and um, then released it as an EP. And then after that, I think it was partly through doing that, partly just through time, we started getting confident to write our own songs, write our own lyrics. Um, Esther had been writing songs from when she was a teenager, but I had kind of, my songwriting until then had mainly been through setting setting um, texts by other people. And I always felt mm-hmm. quite cringed out about writing my own words. <laughs> and then, yeah, so with our, al- our next album, um, The Devil Makes Three, we started writing some songs they were we we wrote a lot of lyrics on that song on the album they were sort of about other stories or you know inspired by different art or books you know none of them were really about our own thoughts and feelings until our next album cracks in the room and then then we really had gained the confidence to write about subject matter that we cared about and i think again it was through age it was a combination of you know getting to a point where you're confident enough to say what you think Mm -hmm. but also because we'd worked together for such a long time at that point we had developed a way where we could write completely collaboratively about the same subject and both feel Mm -hmm. as connected to it as the other person because all of our songs come out of having chats basically and it's really good to have someone there to veto stuff as well yeah (laughs) that's been a really valuable thing over the years like for yeah to to learn and to progress as a band you know we can really speak our minds to each other now in a way that doesn't offend or mm-hmm. um create any tension between us um and that's yeah just I mean something we've worked hard at over the years but um it's yeah it's, it's been I think really special to get to that level of depth with our personal and professional relationship uh, it's something that everyone everyone should aim for when they're working in a group uh, talking of your uh, your track cracks in the room i did love that you guys started doing music videos with this so kind of more in the style of pop or rock artists you've started doing music videos and also that this was folk music dealing with not what you would imagine folk music to be dealing with, quote unquote. And you guys have put a more modern spin on it, which I think is incredibly enlightening. But it also it shows growth of, of the genre as well. And it's not just all playing Brian Baru's March. I know that's Irish rather than Scottish, but I must say that's a really wonderful thing that you guys have given to the genre. 
Thanks, so. Rosie. Yeah, it's, it's been um, really important to us to make our music relevant. And we're also super lucky because Scotland has this amazing wealth of folk music uh, and also just a very living tradition here. Um, the, the tradition is always evolving and it's taken forward by young folk. It's not, you know, like an old tradition, which we're just learning about music. It's like always evolving and there's a real incentive to revitalize the tradition. So there are loads of outlets for us to, and loads of examples for us to draw upon on how to take um, traditional music like into another realm. Um, uh, and yeah, just like harness it into the future, use the bits of it that are relevant and dismiss the bits, you know, maybe don't resonate with us. So, so yeah, we're so lucky to have that here in Scotland. Yeah, and I think that um, a lot of the artists in Scotland who aren't folk musicians, like we have an amazing wealth of pop, rock, jazz and classical music here. There's just so much going on. Um, and all of those other genres really respect folk music. It's not kind of seen as a fuddy-duddy thing. Like they all take their, like I can think of lots of pop acts from Scotland who take folky influences definitely whether that's consciously or unconsciously and it's built into your culture yeah and it's i think that's such a lovely thing as esther said it's such a living tradition here and um we're so lucky because we aren't uh we don't just come from one genre i don't think either of us would ever identify like strongly in one genre we're definitely strongly in a few and we don't like to use genres and we don't like to limit ourselves to that because I think a genre is something that is always evolving and changing and um you know they're useful for selling stuff and for getting bums on seats but actually <laughs> actually I don't want to identify as a genre you know I think that's sort of limiting yourself and you don't know what's gonna what's going to feed into your subconscious influences next. Absolutely. And I think it limits your audience scope as well. It can limit people who may may go or not go to your concert, depending on what genre label is put on it, which is unfortunate <laughs> that that's the way we think mm -hmm. as human beings. But I think you guys are very, very wise to do that. So I'm going to jump in because you seem to be a very... Um grounded group so i was curious what was the strangest gig or performance that you've ever done oh. <laughs> Esther's face oh. right now and she's like very concerned <laughs> that's just always the I'm bit i'm just weird. gonna hark back in my mind because there are so many weird ones so um, many how do we choose okay well i mean i have to choose between our the ones where we've been abroad because like either one from Mongolia or Malawi are sticking out in my mind or actually Brazil as well because we played in a hip-hop house in Brazil but that was actually just so White. cool we've never That's felt awesome. so cool okay that one's it okay start talking about that one <laughs> well that was actually just like I have never felt cooler in my life I've, well, I mean, we we like well, we recorded a music video with these really cool political hip hop artists, um, and we were kind of doing this project Roots to Roots, which is a an international kind of folk music sharing project, and we were sort of trying to find lesser known folk music, 
and we came across this amazing guy, um, Beto, who is is a political hip hop artist um, based in Sao Paulo. And he's incredible uh, and kind of celebrated again, just in his immediate community. Um, And he started this hip hop house right in the city and anyone was welcome and it was celebrating kind of political hip hop music. So um, it was really interesting type of folk music because it was about society and it was about, um, you know, his community and it was about people's stories. And that's basically what folk music is. Um, and so, yeah, we, we went to play there um, and basically we were just like amazed by these hip hop artists and also these like break dancers and yeah, it was pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> love it. Love it. Okay, Rosie, I think we've got a goal. Yeah, we've got a goal. We're going to play in a hip hop house. I'm. I, we need to get Adam in there as well. That's just, <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> Okay, I think this is a good contrast. This is actually a lovely gig in one of my, in the end, um, when we actually got to play the the actual gig, probably one of my favourite gigs we've ever done. And it was um, in Krakow in Poland. So this is an instance where it was probably one of our first festivals that we've done abroad. So it was a festival called Etno Krakow, beautiful festival, like loads of amazing music from all around the world. And um, probably one of the first times that we have ever had to spec a pedal harp, <laughs> which oh, is an experience yeah. because not many, you know, not many groups call for a pedal harp. And because uh, basically um, for those listeners who who aren't familiar with the instrument, it's very, very complicated to fly with it. So um, if yes. <laughs> Yeah, you basically don't want to fly with a pedal harp. So we always try and find one on the ground wherever we are. And this involves quite detailed descriptions to the festival organisers who might never have seen one before. You, you just don't know. So um, this is probably the first time we'd ever had to request one. And it was maybe safe to say that our instructions probably weren't quite detailed enough. <laughs> because we arrived. <laughs> <laughs> and we were playing in this beautiful, massive cathedral in the middle of Krakow. And it was going to be such an atmospheric gig that lighting, oh, it was just so beautiful. Except there was this little harp on the stage, um, which didn't have an extended soundboard and the bottom strings were rusty. Actually, oh, no. rusty. <laughs> like the pedals were twisted out of shape and they didn't all work. It was a bit of a nightmare. So we were there in the sound check, like wide eyed, sort of like looking at each other. And because Esther's so lovely um, and just too nice sometimes, I'm going to put it out there. She was just <laughs> like, thanks, it's great. And the guy's like, is the harp okay? And she's like, it's great. And I was like, no, 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 it's no. not great. It's <laughs> not great. <laughs> like, we literally can't do the gig. We're gonna, this is going to make us, I mean, it made us sound bad it really it, oh, it was God. bad they just made us sound like we couldn't do our jobs properly <laughs> so in the end we just had to um go up to the very lovely organizer and just just say is there any way that you can uh, source another harp this is like two hours before the gig and luckily oh lordy a harp angel appeared with her <laughs> with her husband <laughs> carrying it <laughs> 
and they came along and it was beautiful and they saved the day thank goodness but that was a really good lesson for us as well just to not take for granted that everybody knows what pedal harp is i i'm very happy i can get mine now in a nice little box that i can fit under the seats in airplanes now of course it's like pops out into my feet area a little bit so i have to do some like fancy skirt dangling or a jacket over my legs so they don't yell at me <laughs> but like i insist i want it always comes with me and then i always have to slide it under the seat because of course you never know if there's going to be enough space above and uh so Makes me appreciate the fact that I can take my little baby wherever I go. Yeah. Going back to the Roots to Roots project, you guys have toured the world extensively at this point and worked with all sorts of other folk musicians from different backgrounds. Can you talk about the project Roots to Roots and what inspired it, what you took away from the experience and just how you started and came up with such an incredible project? So basically, I remember... I remember the scene. I'm going to picture it for you now. <laughs> we were sitting in Manchester in Esther's house the year after we'd graduated from college. It was raining outside. I'd just come up to visit. I was doing my postgrad down in London. Just come up to visit. We were sitting having a bottle of wine. And we were like, what shall we do next? <laughs> <laughs> and we you had a couple of glasses of wine and thought, oh, what would be the maddest thing that we like you know if money wasn't an object mm -hmm, and we could mm -hmm. make any project happen what would we want to do and we started thinking about all these other um at this point we'd been obviously at college for four years and and at a specialist music school before that we'd basically been in in specialist classical music education for a while and i think we were both hungry to go out and l find non-western ways of making music and learn from them and we were thinking about them in terms of um, our own folk tradition and how actually quite similar all folk music is around the world, yet how different it sounds, mm. as in how similar the concepts are and the aesthetic, mm. if that makes mm -hmm. sense. I'm losing my words here. Scales, because it's quite often pentatonic scales in different folk music. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah but also just like the intention behind it, the reason it exists, community sharing, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it can sound so radically different. So we were like, wouldn't it be fun to go around four different countries, one on each continent and collaborate with musicians from each place? Cool. Yeah, like that's ever going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and then <laughs> I was doing my postgrad down in London um, at the Royal Academy. And they had a, um, a fund available for final year students to apply for, which was run by Deutsche Bank. As banks go, they are very, they're big arts benefactors. So that's good. We were, I went along to, to a talk about this, this grant and they basically said, we want to hear the sorts of ideas that you would only be brave enough to tell your friends in the pub after a couple of drinks. So we want to hear your maddest ideas. And I thought, oh, maybe we're in with a chance here. <laughs> <laughs> so we had, we, got, we had to write a business plan for this, which was actually such a great experience mm -hmm. in itself to have to do that. And then we had to do a presentation for the bankers, which was hilarious. Um, oh my and we managed to persuade them <laughs> to give us the money. So then we, we got to do it. Yeah. What were the four places you went to? We started in uh, Quebec and then we went to Malawi and then Brazil and Mongolia. 
but it that was just sort of we realized um because it was a ten thousand pound grant which at the time was like oh my gosh that's so much money but we we quickly realized that that was basically just enough money to dip our toe in the water of these four um very different places and be quite specific about um the kind of region that we were going to be looking at um, and the people that we were going to be interested in so um yeah we we just had an amazing time getting to know a few uh musicians who were tapped into lots of different um like pockets of tradition in these different places and we worked with a few musicologists um in each place uh and had a lot of really fun jams um and the future of the project is at the moment kind of up in the air but we'd love to take the project further uh, and the plan is to perform in Celtic connections with um, some musicians from each of those four places mm. in the future. The The problem with this project is that we both want to focus on music making. We don't want to focus on the business side of our job. <laughs> so, so that's like kind of limits the progression of the project, you know, because this is like something we want to take really seriously if we want to um, work with these different places we want to really credit musicians properly from each place we want to treat it like a true collaboration like a, a deep collaboration not just like a surface level one um, and we want to just make sure that we are respecting um, everyone from each place in the right way and so yeah the, the next step with the project is finding someone to help us with all that stuff <laughs> hi uh, yeah, Blair is actually brilliant at this. She is music, entrepreneurship, business master. So. Oh my God. Well, that's good Here to go. know. Here's your new business manager. <laughs> Blair, you're going to be hearing from us. Uh, we were actually just about, before COVID hit, we were about to sort of take the next steps with um, planning for the next phase of Roots to Roots. And now, mm -hmm. because of COVID, we've kind of gone down we've kind of reinvented what we do um for this this period and al also like it's not possible at yeah. the moment um yeah and we want to i think we'd love it to happen but we also want to be responsible with our carbon footprint you know that's something that's been kind of highlighted with the with this lockdown thing it's it's like a yeah there's been lots of things that have happened because planes haven't been allowed to fly and um, that have kind of helped re revive our planet to a certain extent so I think that's going to impact music quite a lot um, but I think there's no reason for that to impact music negatively I think you know there's lots of interesting ways to watch our carbon footprint aren't there so something else we want to be considerate about just to jump on that, uh, I know the last couple of tunes and videos that you guys have released has had a um, environmental slant to it. Uh, is that something that you intentionally went into writing your most recent album doing, or is is that something that you want your music to represent this uh, this form of activism? And yeah. how do you think that's actually going to be? Uh, how is it perceived? Well, you know, for quite a long time, we shied away from sort of politicizing our music. Um, but then we realized, I think, again, maybe because of our age. <laughs> now we're old women. We're getting old. <laughs> we're over the hill. <laughs> but we, we realized that, 
you know, we we are um, we write about our experiences. We talk so much um, between us. You know, we have like endless conversations about our experiences as being young women working in music, traveling a lot, meeting people all the time, and um, about like the kind of the nature of um, being a Western woman, uh, the privileges that come with that, and um, like also just, you know, we talk about our politics in this country a lot. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have decided that that is what our music is going to be about. That is going to be our identity as a band. Um, we don't want to make our music sort of like only um, political, but we want to draw on our own personal experiences and our, and our own opinions. And yeah, that's certainly um, a lot of those opinions are about climate change. A lot are about nature. I think we've both always written about nature because um, you just start in a hippie bar. We did. <laughs> <laughs> it was our destiny. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, you know Scotland's so beautiful mm. and magical, um, but so are so many places in the world. Um, we both come from quite rural exactly. areas um, that are very beautiful. Um, but yeah, so. <laughs> In summary to your question, I think, yeah, we we like to write about our own experiences. We like to write about our opinions. We don't want to shy away from that anymore. Well, some uh, quotes that I want to share at this point in the podcast, just going off what you've just said, is from Bertolt Brecht, the theatre practitioner. And he was known to have said that he didn't want the audience to come in and hang their brains up along with their coats and their hats in the cloakroom and I think that's that's very relevant to share this here as well it that there is something about having music you just listen to to relax but music that actually you enjoy but makes you think is so powerful and so important mm, so I love what you guys that. are doing is is really incredible I love that quote I, I'd say that's our mission is to because we don't just want, we could just make background music that's easy to listen to and, you know, to chill out to, cook to or whatever. But <laughs> we we want to make, we want to make art and we want to challenge people's perception of, of what is, what is uh, possible in our instruments and also our image as young women with high voices, but also just hopefully challenge societal norms a little bit and ask questions that are sort of the elephant in the room yeah and and that's sometimes. absolutely no um disrespect or disregard to anyone who wants to make entertainment because i think that is extremely no. valuable as well but i think it's also getting harder mm. and harder to get away from that um especially because of the world of social media you know it's sort of driven towards entertainment um, or like really, really big opinions, but nothing kind of in between that allows for reflection and uh, taking stock and kind of more deep thinking. And I think it's a real challenge at the moment with the way that everything is consumed on the internet um, and how people are always trying to design their stuff as clickbait. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people's, <laughs> there's some statistic that says people don't often watch watch more than three or five seconds of a video and everyone's attention span is becoming smaller is mm -hmm. what it feels like and that's a really difficult because we you know I think we've come to terms with the fact that we can't 
just be annoyed at the fact that people don't pay for music anymore and that everything's available for free we have to work with it and find a way for it to work for us as independent artists i think that's a huge challenge if you're trying to make like meaningful art but also trying to sell it and trying to get attention on the internet which at the moment not just because of how everything is in general and how the, the industry is in general but also because of covid it's kind of amplified even more so it's definitely a challenge but one we're one we're trying to take you are getting very philosophical here with all these environmental and you know social media topics i mean they're really amazing so uh you're, you're both kind of hinting at it a little bit but what advice would you give to musicians who are trying to do similar things to you just try and do what feels right. I know that that's like the most obvious thing to say, but just try and go with your gut and don't succumb to any pressure to be like anybody yeah. else. I think you've just got to try and be authentic as much as that word is banded around these days, but it's just so, so important to do that. And and also don't be afraid of making mistakes. Like, like we were talking about earlier with our experience of making records and having to do all of our, all ourselves and therefore making mistakes and being so grateful for all of those because they taught us so much. Mm. Yeah, I totally agree with both those things. And I'd also say just don't be afraid in general. Don't feel the judgment of others. Don't worry about comparison uh, and don't, yeah, try to avoid negative thoughts about yourself because um, it's very easy to go down that negative spiral um, you know, you get lots of knockbacks over the years. Uh, you get lots of ign ignoring. That's the worst one. Mm -hmm. Someone just doesn't even bother to reply to mm -hmm. you or doesn't engage with you. Yeah. But, you know, like just I think, you know, if you have self-belief in what you're doing, then it is of value. Um, and that's really all that you should hold on to. It is of value. It's worth doing. And um, you're investing in your creativity. And the other thing uh, I was going to say was always seek out the information yourself hmm. don't like don't shy away from hard graft because actually you know it, it's it's quite easy to feel helpless but there is the answers basically to anything are available somewhere on the internet we're very lucky we're in the age where uh, information is available and it just it's just a question of um of actually seeking it i mean i do find the reason that i sort of say that is that I have found in like, more recently in years that my students um, ask me a lot. They ask me a lot about like what what answers you know I, I would give them to quite general topics or you know like sometimes quite simple topics actually. And it's so easy to find out that sort of information. Um, and you know it's it's quite a hard work to always be faced with those sorts of questions because you're not really facilitating learning um, and like passing on, you know, like investing in yourself and practicing, like just being entrepreneurial, I guess. Uh, and so, yeah, just embracing the entrepreneurial side of the job. Yeah, and just also don't feel like, I think now our industry has sort of changed so much in the past 20 years or even five or 10 years and it's changing so much and the the sort of pressure to get representation and stuff like that which I think we felt a lot at the beginning 
it's, it's changed so much. Like, I think a manager it can be so many different things to, to what it traditionally was. Like, the way that we choose to work now is that we have a booking agent um, and a publisher. And um, we hire PR people if we need them. But we're kind of self-managed at the core and we're at the moment we self-release our albums and I think we we kind of we're happy with that at the moment if like the dream record deal came along we'd be delighted but there's probably only like five record companies that we feel would do a better job actually than what we can do ourselves because if you have a good PR and you've got a good system set up Mm. then actually it's perfectly possible to do it in-house yeah. and, and because record labels are, are have so much less money mm-hmm. nowadays actually if you manage to raise the funds yourself and we're very lucky here in Scotland we have Create Scotland um, which is our funding body and we can apply to that to make albums and, and different projects so if you have that resource and the facility you know the, the work inner workings of your team um, sort you don't really need a record label yeah. unless it's somebody amazing and going back to what you said like near the start Kat I think um, it gives the power back to you as well you're able to make your own decisions and have complete control over your music um, and mm-hmm. brand yourself exactly how you want and so you're 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 encouraged to yeah be think for yourself basically mm. Very briefly, to talk about the industry, uh, obviously this has changed so much, even, as you say, in the last five or ten years, but certainly in the last 20 years. And I know you guys have a Patreon, which is, I don't know, like a a modern patronage site, for for want of a better term. Can you talk about um, why you decided to start this, how it's helped you guys as a group, and uh, what what you give to your patrons through uh, as a as a musical group signing up for this service yeah so we are so so excited about patreon we've only done it now for a month or a couple of months and um we sort of thought about it a lot before before signing up because we were sort of cautious because we didn't want it just to become another social media thing that we had to look after on top of all the other things that you have to update all the time twitter and yeah (laughs) yes um but then because of partly because of covid partly because we just really like the model and we follow a couple of artists ourselves who use it and really like the communities that they've created through their patreon pages um we decided to go for it and we've set it up in a way that we um our fans can come in on the stuff that we would be working on anyway so at the moment it's sort of quite covid specific Mm -hmm. and it might change once we can get out onto the road again but we want to keep playing concerts while we're at home and um, we're giving people a concert a live gig every couple of months and um, for every month that we don't do a concert, we have a listening party. Um, basically, we all listen to an album together and then have a discussion about it. And these both these things happen on Zoom. So it's lovely because we can see the audience as well. Mm. Um, and then we have a little Q&A after the gig. <laughs> um, also, we give them, so there are three different tiers. So it starts at £3, which is like $5-ish. $4, yeah. 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 Um, and you can 
come to all the live events for that. But then there's other tiers where we give people exclusive access. We give people our recommendations for books and podcasts and stuff like that. And the the fact that Patreon cuts out the corporate middleman. Mm-hmm. Patreon itself was set up by an artist, by a musician. So he uh, trials everything on his own band before he sort of puts it out to Patreon. Love that. So it's, it feels like it's an artist-led platform. I think with everything out there like Spotify and Apple and stuff like that and you know with streaming with artists not being paid properly through streaming yet it feels like a lovely way for people to support their favorite artists in a really direct way Mm. and at the same time creating a community where they can feel like they're part of what we do yeah absolutely and especially supporting smaller artists I'd obviously not to suggest that you guys are small artists but you're not the Spice Girls yet. We'll get that. <laughs> can I design those outfits? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're independent artists and it's a totally different mm-hmm. thing. Like we're totally in-house run. So well, apart from our agent and our publisher who are also small businesses. So we're, we're like, you know, we are a small thing. And, and I think it's, it's a lovely thing for people to feel like they're sort of part of the team. Mm. To wrap things up, thank you, Twelfth Day, for just basically we've spent an hour and a half giggling, which is the best way to run (laughs) any interview. Uh, But do you have anything that you want to promote? I know you also have a podcast that you have both started. And uh, what are your socials and any of the things that you feel the listeners need to know? And obviously everything will be popped down in the show notes below. So check out all of the things that 12th Day have to offer. We made this podcast specific for lockdown, which is called Figuring Out How to Be at Home. And it's sort of an intentionally cumbersome title because um, we felt a bit like grannies figuring out like how to work the internet properly. (laughs) And you can find it on Anchor and basically anywhere you get your podcast from. Yeah, and as Rosie was saying before, you can follow us on our Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash 12th day. We are on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. But if you just go to our website, which is 12thdaymusic.com, you can get links to all of these things that we've just mentioned. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Soundweavers podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and most other major podcast platforms. We hope that you'll follow us on Facebook and Instagram at SoundweaversCast, and on Twitter at SWChambercast, where you'll get episodes as soon as they drop, show notes, and regular updates. This podcast is hosted by Rosanna Moore and engineered by Blair Kerner. I'm your producer, Adam Paul Cordell. Our theme music was composed by Evan Henry and recorded by the Soundweavers team. The music you heard in today's podcast was composed and performed by Twelfth Day. On behalf of the Soundweavers cast, see you in two weeks. Bye.